0: Head over to JensHeitland.com, scroll to the bottom of the page and sign up. But now, let's get started with the podcast. Hello, this is Jens Heidland. Welcome to another episode of the Jens Heitland Show, where I interview experts from different fields to connect the dots of innovation and entrepreneurship. Today's episode is another Innovation Breakfast Club episode, where I meet with previous guests to dig deeper into a specific topic. Today's topic is the myth of experimentation. Please welcome back to the show, Joshua, Dennis, and Werner. Hey guys, how are you doing? Welcome back.
1: Breakfast time.
0: Breakfast time. Somewhere in the world. Yeah, somewhere in the world. Is <laughs> somewhere
1: someone's right. having break- breakfast watching <laughs> no, us. Not too. in
0: Holland. <laughs> so today we're looking into the myth of experimentation. Let's start with defining what that is. Who wants to start? Okay. You're gonna so, have
1: to nominate because yeah, I'm, I'm with you saying. there because so, what is it?
2: Maybe, maybe, maybe we can start with <clears throat> the first reaction because if you hear the word experimentation, the first thing that comes up to my head is a, is a test tube. And I don't know why. It's a um, it, it test tube with, um, with a bubbling uh, a bubbling uh, something coming out. That's the, the first thing that comes into my head when I hear the word experiment. And I don't know why it's there, but it's, it's, maybe it's because how we look at uh, experimentation nowadays is different than we did before. Experimentation was something that maybe when I was in high school, uh, it's something that a, um, a chemist would do. You know, experiment with different uh, formulas and things, uh, and uh, we didn't experiment. We just had to follow the rules. So,
0: so you more see the scientific perspective, as an issue. No, experiment. I'm, I'm,
2: I'm, I'm I, The first reaction in my head yeah. is whenever somebody says the word experiment, I see a test tube and a, one of those uh, triangular uh, 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 bottles <laughs> that you can put fire on. It's, it's gonna yeah. blow stuff up. Yeah, so the weird thing is, is that in, in, in that sense, the, the uh, technical experimentation or uh, experimentation with um, um, uh, fluids that might react to each other, uh, like the, the thing that's on YouTube that's blowing up on the elephant toothpaste. You know, the biggest elephant toothpaste uh, experiment ever is done in a, somewhere in Hollywood Hills. And they, they have this big bucket and they throw in uh, a, a reactive thing to something, something else, and suddenly, within like two seconds, um, more than uh, five hundred square meters of uh, area is just filled with blue goo. It's just exploding, and you know that, that maybe that's where the origin for me lies: the fact that experimentation is putting stuff together, you know, and that explodes. <laughs> that's that's a good start. Let's
3: let's move on to South Africa, Joshua. Yeah, so I think Dennis, that's a great sort of tee up to to get this discussion going. And Jens, Van, and Dennis, it's great to great to be with you guys again. And thanks for setting up another session um, for this discussion. And Jens a great topic to get our get our teeth stuck into. So I think where I started personally from exploring and thinking about this topic was I went back to definitions and I went and researched, used Google in my lazy brain way. And I went and Googled what is a myth. And I did the same for ex- experimentation. And Dennis, what you were saying about things blowing up and scientific methods and things like that, I think that's a great platform to start thinking about experimentation because it essentially asks us, we testing out the new, or we testing the combination of different things. And I think that when you start thinking about things in that way, it's a a great way to start this discussion, but also more generally and broadly around practices and principles. And then from a myth perspective, a myth is something that is widely held, which is a false belief about a certain thing so I think that in combining those two things and Dennis using your test tube analogy is saying how are we combining experimenting and false beliefs and what are we going to make out of that so that's where my thinking started but Vanna, how about you I'm keen to hear what your thinking is about experimentation
1: yeah so I mean I I have a question I had a question and I'll I'll post it at the end uh, around how it aligns with my background from a design perspective but when I I hear the word experimentation, I try to kind of, because like it's for me a tricky word. It can drag you into, like Dennis referred to, like blowing shit up and going all crazy. But actually for me, if I reverse out of experimentation, it's the definition of a hypothesis first. So, and I think that's where the mything also comes in because some people jump into experimentation, but they haven't actually defined a hypothesis. And when I think about, you know, some of the background work I've done is like, there's always something that you're curious about, and then you experiment against that curiosity to see if what your your assumption is is either true or false. Uh, so that's kind of how I align with it. The, the other thing that I wanted to ask uh, the group is that when I saw the topic of experimentation, experimentation is kind of a word that I came across in, in, in school, more or less, in my world, and I think it's the same thing as we, we talk about prototyping. Is that the same thing or am I diving too deep into a subset of experimentation? That's kind of what's in my mind.
0: It's a great start. Yeah, but for me, it's, it's, I, I've had similar, when I was coming up with the topic, I've had similar thinkings. Is it, is it prototyping? Is it not prototyping? I think in general, from a business perspective, it doesn't matter because every every business needs to understand what they are doing. And if they call it experiment or if they call it prototype, I'm not too much into scientific topics. I'm more a practical person to say, okay, if I want to learn something, I need to have an idea of how to do that in a structured way. That's maybe where the scientific methodology comes in, into place. Because I, I love what you said, Werner. When you want to understand something you have an assumption of something you need to have an understanding and not doing it random that you get an outcome and you you you're happy because of the outcome but you don't know how you get there and you don't know what you what what you set out to do yeah um so i i love this not random It, it it's really important to to structure it in a way and i'm a person who believes in systems and in system thinking and putting things in in order um in a way that you create an outcome and you learn from how you set it up and, and doing it in, a, in the process, and then you take a step back and look at it, okay, did it happen because I did it in that way, or did it happen because the customer, client, or who else was involved was reacting in a
3: different way than I was expecting. So, so, I love, yeah, so maybe just end and Vanda just double clicking on, on what you both mentioned about prototyping and sort of systems thinking inside of that space and something for us to maybe grapple with now as we sort of start and transition into more topics in this conversation is why do we approach experimentation in the way that we do and why, why do we not, is everything an experiment, is life an experiment, is that something that we need to consciously decide or activate inside of the way that we operate or what is, what is experimentation? Because I think that we've started off with the myth of experimentation and we've touched briefly on what it is and things like that. But why is it that we approach things in that way?
2: I like, I like the idea that life might be an experiment. It, it it's kind of defined. So uh, from what uh, perspective you're looking hmm. because uh, how far out do you want to uh, zoom in that sense? Because uh, uh, all the conspiracy theorists um, might say that uh, everything that we are is um, based on uh, earlier experimentation on planet Earth, and uh, that's that could be a very big myth. You know, some people uh, uh, want to believe in stuff like that; others maybe not. But uh, uh, if you truly look into, I think what uh, Werner defined was pretty uh, was very interesting. The fact that you have an assumption and that there is a, a guided process of uh, experimentation uh, to test that assumption. And if you look into science, you know, experiment, experimental physics or whatever, they formulate a hypothesis and they uh, do a, a planned out experiment and they, uh, they publish their work. It's all very straightforward and academic, uh, uh, but it's, it's a form of experimentation that doesn't lie very close to my own heart. If I experiment, is that every step I take in any direction is an experiment? <laughs> so is it, you know? Because uh, uh, maybe that's because uh, the, the, the randomness, like you said, Jens, uh, it's uh, versus the intent of doing something. Mm. I can I can be in a very pleasant space if I, I am mean, experimenting without a specific goal. Then I'm playing, and then in that sense, it's maybe something different than experimentation, but play can be experimental because that's literally testing boundaries, testing things. Uh, and I like that physical um, thing about experimentation that you just do it instead of talking about it. This is two very big, very far away spectra. The academic very much intended hypothesized uh, assumption tester uh, or the in the moment direct um uh, uh, testing out of uh, something new
1: so
0: let's it's
1: in, let yeah vanna no, I wanted to say it's interesting that all these terms come up like testing and then experimentation and prototyping and and you can argue that they all mean the same, but in a way, like what what's kind of like like flaying in my mind around the the idea of experimentation is that I think if you, you if we continue playing with the idea of a scientist. And I have, and then I equate it to some of my colleagues in the experience design or customer experience field. I think there's a there's a, there's sometimes it's, experimentation for me is like a practitioner making an assumption based on knowledge, research, and then testing that assumption. But then, like testing for me is like looking at at what customers are saying and then directly responding to that. And I, and I'm not saying like Dennis is wrong, but I think there's kind of a there could be a difference in here somewhere because I think sometimes we, we think when we develop things and we start experimenting, it's just about kind of giving a customer what they want or creating a product that the market wants. Where I like to think about experimentation as kind of looking at all the data, not just sucking it out of the air, but then adding my own hypothesis to that and then testing that hypothesis to see if it's true. So and, to see if it can develop into something more because it's not about giving customers what they want it's giving them something better. And I'm, I'm, I'm kind of like using the customer experience field, but I think right. it's also true for product and that kind of stuff. And I think that's where experimentation can lead. And maybe the myth is, is that we are thinking that we're experimenting but actually we're just testing stuff because we're too scared to actually really experiment.
0: Yeah. Love that. But <clears throat> for me, the, the testing is basically without having a hypothesis before. It's like yeah. randomly, maybe a little more, a little bit more like Dennis was mentioning. Every step is a test. And, yeah. and that's fine. And I think there's nothing wrong with that. For me, it's more the the intention is differently. For me, the experiment part is you have a hypothesis. If I do this, then I believe that will happen. And then you figure it out if it's true or not. Yeah. And and it's... what you learn on the process. And at least for me, that's how I define it as well in my framework is experimentation is bigger than prototyping. Prototyping is doing doing an experiment inside the experiment, if, if, if you if you want to, to call it yeah. like that. So yeah. That's how I see or have defined it for myself and my business, where I said prototypes are one way of proving the whole experiment, but it's a smaller piece where if you, if you take an, an umbrella hypothesis, which you want to bring into an experiment, and then you have a lot of smaller assumptions in inside that hypothesis, and testing this assumption, validating that assumption is for me prototyping, but well, that's maybe...
1: Yeah, so, yeah and I, I think, okay, sorry, but, sorry. Didn't
2: but didn't... it's very different because I'm an industrial designer. And for me, the word prototyping uh, 20 years ago is mainly, uh, we have a, a name, spuigmodel. It's, it's a spitting model, it's something you put together without too much cost, but making it tangible, visible, just to see if it's, if it's okay within your uh, expectation. Mm. And, um, um, and prototyping has ventured into a different world with the coming of um, uh, design as a super solver for uh, everything. Uh, and now prototyping has go- gone into uh, all different kinds of spaces. Uh, to try things out but with the intent of like any good design to prototype and not to only make uh, something once and then that's it you need to figure out what the possibilities are uh, to get the best one to get the best results um, and I think that's what that's one of the remnants of the fact that you when you um, uh, create products or services you know it's at uh, some but let's start with the creating of a, a simple uh, product like a like a, like a phone or a, something more t- something even more tangible like a, a cup, you know uh, something that drink, get, you can drink very nicely out of. Um, um, it's nicer to uh, move from the drawing from the idea to something that you can hold because you can test it and that small test, like you said uh, Werner, is part of a bigger thing uh, where you get feedback loop to create something of the bigger experiment. And I don't know if the design is then similar as an experiment, but I think prototyping uh, uh, is something that came about and is venturing into all different kinds of spaces. But the main premise of of, of it is to test things out, to see if it works, is to yeah. to figure it out uh, without uh, experimenting or, or without creating it in such a way that it costs you a lot.
1: And, and perhaps it's a it's a reframe, right? Maybe we are getting stuck on words because as I'm as I'm listening to. dennis talk and like he's using the analogy of a product designer like one thing i like about someone who designs a product is that he's got something invested in that product he's designing it my wife is a product designer she's done chairs and stuff she's designed that right and i think when i think about experimentation and hypothesis it's like having skin in the game as a designer you have skin in the game because there's there's i like one of the biggest struggles I've had in my career working with teams with people on teams design teams is that to convince my designers that they actually have to have skin in the game because it's very easy to say but the client said or the customer is indicating that this or the data is saying I'm going like take all that in account and I add some skin in the game like what because that's a differentiate user design and perhaps I'm kind of hanging on to this design thing but What's your, what's the skin in the game? I think it's even true for entrepreneur. Like if I'm just going to do what the what the the market wants, okay, that's okay, that's something. But if I add something, this is what Vanner is going to deliver to the market. This is my experiment. Then I think that that becomes in a true experiment. And perhaps perhaps then the expression of that experiment becomes either a prototype. It's becoming more research you know you can have different kind of ways that you run your experiment if i have to take again from the scientists i mean it's not that a scientist necessarily like builds the whole thing they might go and find more material or research or actually build something and blow shit up i don't know the more i think about this topic the more i get excited about it thanks
0: <laughs> because of blowing up or what <laughs> yeah i'm like man but
1: i well, I, Josh, I really R.? get Passionate about this whole skin in the game thing, like it's it's a big for me.
2: I think Joshua, the, the, what you said about the, because the word myth hasn't fallen in this yet, and I think that's why this is so interesting. Is like you said, it's a false belief, hmm. uh, and uh, that's that's maybe uh, pinning it back to Jens. That you uh, reframed it as a the myth of experimentation. Why why do we think there are false beliefs in experimentation? Why why start with the fact that it is a myth? Why is it yes. interesting to you, Jens? <laughs>
0: yeah, for, for me, I see it every day. <clears throat> and I, I I mean, I come from a corporate background where experiment experimentation or prototyping, however we define it, is not the norm. Because <laughs> very successful organization, like we discussed in culture, are in a in a in a perspective of their culture in their trajectory of their business they're in a protecting mode like we're super successful so how can we stay as successful as we are and don't risk anything so that's 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 where i came up with hey we we need to demystify it because i think there's a huge value for successful organization in doing it that's what and and that's basically leads us into a little bit deep dive into it so if I, if I just give you a couple of topics, which I have seen in my past, people saying around uh, experimentation. Number one, ex- experimentation takes a long time. Number two is experimentation is expensive. Number three, experimentation is risky. We can't afford that with our clients or hashtag our brand. So, if we just take this this examples, what are your thoughts on that?
3: So, I'll I'll, I'll kick off. Um, and Jens, yeah, the the way that you framed risk there just sort of resonated with something that I'd uh, that I'd written down in preparation for this conversation today. And it's called Helen's Razor, um, and essentially, just quickly, what it is, and it ties very well into the three things that you just mentioned. So, Helen's Razor states that we should not attribute to malice that which is more easily explained by stupidity. So an example inside of that is that it's harder to take advantage of or even see opportunities while this defensive mode, because of our priority is saving ourselves, which tends to reduce our vision to dealing with the perceived threat instead of examining the bigger picture. And I think if you (laughs) you say that, and I would love to claim those words as my own, but they're not. They are from a book about mental models that Shane Parrish, who I think I may have referenced in some of these prior conversations, he's a, he's a phenomenal thinker and he's done some great work. And sort of now jumping into the question that you posed, Jens, about time, expense and riskiness, and I think that maybe some of the the way to think about that is potentially to flip it on its head and rather say, by not experimenting, are we not creating a converse to that where By not experimenting we are creating greater exposure to our brand or to our business through not engaging in experimentation so if you take time for example we all think that experimentation takes time but by not experimenting we're actually putting ourselves on the back foot and meaning that we're going to have to spend more time on doing something than addressing it right in the here and now from from an expense perspective I think if you look at the way that systems are created, and before we started recording, we were talking about the world of blockchain and how that is rapidly evolving. If people hadn't and don't get their minds around that, they are going to be left behind because of the opportunities that technology and specifically tech has evolved at a rate of knots over the last number of years. And then from a risk perspective is something that I keep coming back to in various discussions that we have. And it's a lesson that I've learned a number of years ago was around the risk of not doing something. And I think that sometimes when we think about experimentation and we can say it's going to take too much time or it's going to be too expensive, but the risk of not engaging in that that activity often is far greater than taking the risk right now. And I'll try and use an example to explain that from an investment perspective is where if you think about an investment instrument, if you hadn't invested in that instrument, you would have foregone X amount amount of returns. And if you think about that from, from a, just an experimentation perspective or practice, or whether you're designing a new product, you can often see some interesting things that would be developed where you would have been left behind if you haven't engaged in that space.
2: Yeah. So Helen's razor. <laughs> That's blowing my mind.
1: Josh has <laughs> dropped another knowledge bomb on us. Yeah. Thanks, dude.
2: So, what do we do with it, Werner? Because I think it's it's stating if I could try to repeat it in common language <laughs> um, it is, um it is saying that when you um, um, when you do not when you are in a situation where you do not take the risk uh, or you or you uh, do not display riskful behavior you tend to lose out on possibility. And I'm complicating myself again, making it very complicated, but it's just, I'm just trying to see what this means to a cow. You know, what does Helen Razor mean to a cow? Yeah, I think one cow would say, ooh, I don't dare to step in this uh, uh, pool because it's, uh, it's probably really, really deep and we're uh, filled with shit or... And the other just goes through it and uh, gets the nice grass. So it's the idea that there's, there is there is an assumption made inside of the cow that's saying, I won't go um, take this risk. And in that doing so, it's losing out. And this may be something that's interesting for us to look with the experiment because that's when you do not experiment, you lose out. Good. So- I mean,
1: yeah.
3: So, Dennis, what, what you're saying about the cars, you, you do lose out. And, and maybe to, to sort of bring it back down is saying that well, it's, it's so to, to go back to Helen's razor, it's saying that we forego the opportunity sometimes because we put ourselves in cotton wool and we don't want to experiment. We treat yeah. our ideas, we treat our concepts as too precious and we don't take that first step. And if you go back to some of the previous conversations that we've had between the four of us. You've spoken about culture and the, you know the, the sparks or the triggers that will change certain things and mindsets, and I think that that's something from an experimentation perspective that we can all learn from. Is how do we take ourselves out of that cotton wool? Because I think Jens, that addresses the three things that, that you said from a corporation or organisation perspective. That is very hard to break the break the bounds of that um, that ball that we put ourselves in.
1: But I I think also um, that. I mean, I'm trying to think about this analogy that you're using with the cotton wool. So, I mean, fear puts you into that cotton wool, right? And I would argue that what Jens mentioned is actually in itself, three myths. Because everything that you've mentioned, Jens, is nonsense, right? Like time, money, attitude, like you can work through it. It's kind of your own barriers that you're setting up. And I'll give you an example, like a practical example. Now, I worked for a long time in an advertising agency where we were kind of measured on creativity. And uh, it's very hard to be a very creative guy when you're doing the same bank account marketing every three months, right? Now, where do you do experimentation there? And I argue because, I mean, when, when you mentioned this topic, I thought, shit, I didn't experiment. Where did I experiment? And then I realized I actually did because each campaign was so monotonous and I had to do that specific project. But what the client didn't know is that in each one of those projects, I put something in there that I was experimenting with because I'm going like, damn it, if I'm gonna go through this process, I'm putting in something in that project that I'm gonna see if it work and doesn't work. It's not gonna destroy the whole project. If it doesn't work, no one's even gonna know. If it works, damn, I'm gonna like broadcast it and be famous and I think, Part of this cotton wool that we put around experimentations, we're going, Whoo, we need to put the new blockchain out there, guys. We're going to have to change the whole organization where experiment experimentation could be small. It could be, I mean, i eye waffling on. Jens, what do you think, man?
0: It is it, fascinating if you give specific examples. I can give tons of examples. I will take like super practical base to earth example. I'm host of a podcast and we are right now recording episode number 70 I've reached out to people who I know who are not famous but they're well off in in, in a nice company and and in a good position they they have haven't said it to me but it's it's I, I approached them if they would be willing to do to to do an episode with me um, and they said it's too risky for them so it it's the same mentality like in the large corporations where where you say hey we have a new product and we can't can't launch it because it needs to be perfect it needs to be bang on before you put it out so every customer needs to love the product from day one if you put something out that's not going to be perfect we can't do that and i've been there in the corporate world where literally from a wording perspective everyone is saying yeah it don't need to be perfect it's all fine but when you see the process and how things are working it's all dialed into that it need to be perfect we can't launch it before it's not going to be so they rather move the launch date before they put something out that's not not going to be perfect and it's this podcast example is just one example i have where it's like people not willing to, to take the risk being on a podcast because they could expose themselves in, in a way they don't like. And then I would be publishing that. And the, the same thing, like we discussed before recording, is it's like social media posts and, and all this kind of things. Is, it, it's it's also good. People, people are not posting. I've had this discussion um, in one of my videos with Stephen Brooks because he was he was fearing that he's risking his brand if he's putting out videos that that are on on TikTok um because he's he's a serious business person yeah but he then jumped over it and he's gaining followers and he's opening up to a new new kind of new followership which is young people who are interested in the same topic but they haven't had the possibility to engage with him because he wasn't there in their world so it's it's just if you take the risk to, to the, the cotton wool, it, it opens up possibilities and opportunities which you wouldn't have.
3: So I think that, and that ends the last line that you mentioned, the opportunities that you wouldn't have. And I think that if there's a way that we can put that before, so fear, all these myths, et cetera, and show that by experimenting, you're gaining access to opportunities. And I think that to build off maybe an example that you give is sure it's contextual and we do need to keep that in mind in different circumstances. But in a small scale example, in one of the examples that I'll mention now is I was working with a business and one of the marketing managers or CMO at that stage, he instructed me to turn off every single communication that was being sent out from the business because he said we're communicating too much. And many, many CMOs and CEOs around the world may have been like, that's way too much of a risk. But the whole principle was we were going through a process of a communications audit and the experiment was drastic. Sure, but it produced results far quicker than me sitting manually through the 300 different emails and figuring out what was triggering this process. Instead, we just cut the cord and everything was turned off. And then we slowly through experimentation and finding out and asking the right questions we were then able to find out which emails and communication mediums were needed inside of that space and you can see how quickly sometimes through experimenting correctly and sometimes in a drastic manner you can open up the access to the opportunities at a far greater speed which maybe ties into some of the things that we've been chatting about already about you know how, how are we limiting ourselves by not engaging in experiments? So, can I share my screen?
0: Yes, you can. So, for those who are who are only listening, Vanna will give you the, the the visual representation via words, <laughs> yeah.
1: as
2: as every time.
1: So we so. are seeing. Okay.
2: So. I would say what's happening is that you you get like a uh, a two-way street um, where everything when you look at something that is resulting out of some, out of some kind of experiment test prototype experiment there's going to be a result that's either slow uh, but perfect finished it's a closed off it's a, a, a clear boundaries. It's flawless. It's high value, high risk. Um, if you if you tamper with how it's how it's put together, but on the other side, you have authentic, flawed, open, shares, quick, live, dynamic, um, and it's the stuff that that is um, uh, maybe in the people's heads. Um, that we uh, I put the word authentic in there because I I, I don't like that word because <clears throat> define if people want to be authentic, they're not. Um, but in that this sense. Uh, it's describing the authenticity of the process of play uh, and people being in that process is so different to a corporate framework that cannot play, cannot uh, um, uh, change very easy, but is in high, uh, high, working with high value and high risk. Uh, whereas, whereas the results of maybe a, a quicker uh, flawed um, uh, thing, is maybe a low value and low risk, but it does work and does, There's dynamic in there. There's a dynamic in there. So in that sense, I like I like the idea that you have these two these two spaces, and it would be even more interesting uh, where they interact. So where the space of the um, uh, perfect and flawless um, uh, product interacts with the uh, prototype. Um, uh, and quick, uh, li- lively, authentic, uh, and dynamic uh, situation of, 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 of an experiment. And in that sense, um, I like what you said, uh, Joshua, with the end result being that there is an access to opportunity when you, uh, when you look at this from both, both views, because high, high value, high risk, uh, lots of impact on your reputation if you do things wrong, you know, there's also access to opportunity there. It's just more high risk and high, high stakes. Uh, but it, it, it starts to be interesting when they when these things start to interact because we tend to like experimentation or not everybody, but uh, people are saying, well, within companies, they need to experiment more. They need to play more. They need to do all these things more. But once once they say, well, let's do it, then the real work starts and you see when what happens when experimentation intersects with this high value game. you know, and this is where our, our, the dynamic dynamic that's in between here uh, starts to really play in with the Allen's uh, razor, with the fact that some, who is standing on what side of the razor? You know, it's just in the middle of this because you yeah. can test and prototype and experiment on the uh, 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 perfect and flawless side, but it just takes longer, and maybe then it's a more planned out experiment. Uh, and if you're talking about a myth of experimentation, I think there's, there's because these two worlds, they are separate. And it's, it's so interesting because when they it, it start to interact, it, it gets us all riled up. We're, we're like, oh, what, what are we doing here? What is it, why are we, uh, why is this person wanting to uh, experiment again? I want to go to the next phase because we need to uh, uh, keep uh, time uh, going and blah, blah, blah. They're stuck in something else. Uh, where you're saying, well, they might say you slow down first to speed up later. Uh, and that's uh, some kind of a wisdom that maybe people don't get at, so, at some level. level. But when do these things interact in that sense? So I'm going to unshare again. Yeah, wait, <laughs> keep, keep it there because I would love Werner
0: to explain it to the ones who are listening.
1: Okay. So now <laughs> I'm going to try. So if you're listening to this, right, I'm looking at visually here. Um at the bottom is uh, kind of a, something that pulls you in that says access to opportunities. And how you do that, you have uh, three concentric circles uh, going to the center, uh, the outer one being experiment and moving to the center. You have the next one, which is prototype. And then right at the middle, you have uh, test, but then on the horizon, you have risk because my uh, interpretation of what Dennis has done here is that no matter what this experimentation, this prototyping and testing is some form of risk. But then there's a, element of, of considering your reputation. And then on the left-hand side of these circles and the doorways into these circles, you have high value, um, high risk, right, Dennis? Where yeah. you you kind of go for a more kind of perfect finish approach. It's a bit slower, it's closed, you're going for this flawlessness. And then on the right-hand side of these circles, and, and as, what I'm understanding from Dennis is you have these options, is that you have this bubble on the right-hand side of of risk where you have something that it's authentic but it's quick it could be flawed it's open shared collaborative and um yeah that's kind of and also faster right so that is the visual
2: yeah. um, On one side description is, it, it's it, i i like the words flaw flawed and flawless yeah in that sense because we tend to that's why all the fuck up nights that everybody is uh, uh, now doing uh, or has been doing for the last five years is amazing because uh, we tend to now want to hear the flaws instead of just hearing about the flawlessness yeah and i was uh, kind of
1: yeah so i was drawn to the comes. open and closed open and closed was like comes from some of my terminologies like you have open experimentation and closed experimentation yeah, yeah. It's interesting yeah.
3: So, so he has a he has a, a a thought. So, Vanna, you you obviously mentioned earlier how you'd worked on a on a campaign with a with a client, and you yourself had done what we'll call or term micro experiments that wouldn't have derailed the entire campaign exactly. had they been noticed. So, if we zo- we zoom out again now and we say, what are the levels of experimentation that we should be thinking about? Because Dennis, that and that that image that you drew just really got me thinking around that, is because. Jens, going back to the three sort of triggers that you posed around time, expense, and risk is maybe we need to shift our thinking around the size of the experiment that we're wanting to run. And if we go back to what we mentioned earlier in the conversation around how do we go about experimentation and inside different levels, you maybe don't need to take massive risks to experiment, but you can start shifting and sort of fine tuning what you're doing to start driving some bigger change. And, Ben or all I know that you've both experimented inside of that space. So maybe you want to latch on to anything there, uh,
1: because I think Jens is more the bigger experimenter than me, right? <laughs> but I think, I think, I mean, you missed the innovation leader, and I'm saying that with much respect, no jokes. I think in my side, I think the kind of the way that I define that is for me is, and I agree with you, Joshua, like these levels. I think the, the question you have to ask yourself in from my world and my background if you're doing any task as a business as a designer as something and you repeat that task like if it's a repetitive task you're doing it over and over if you're not doing experimentation doing these tasks you are missing out and I, i'm not a guy for absolute statements but you are a fool if you're not experimenting while you're doing repetitive tasks and then i think then you then you go up the ladder and then i'm going to pass it over to you to Jens.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think I love it from, from a stage perspective because as as bigger the experiment as riskier it is and as most probably as longer it will take yeah. though some things are super small and they're the riskies um, but it's, it's really about take, taking the risk in, in a way that or take doing an experiment where we have, a, have you, where you have a calculated risk but maybe a huge impact Maybe an example where, for the listeners as well, to to go into an example. We have been looking, imagine like five years ago when I was still working in corporates. We did a prototype around a new business model. And that's one of the most risky things you can do inside a very, very, very successful business, testing a new business model. Because it's basically turning everything upside down and saying, uh, upside down and, and everything else, what what you have done before, what, what has made you successful is not relevant anymore. If you, if you see it from a radical perspective, but we did a very, very small test compared to the large organization, a very small test in one location only where we did a test on changing the business model, which has proven to be successful. Does that mean that they're applying this test all over? Not yet. Um, I think that's one of the mistakes that company did that they're not doing more experiments, taking the good example and the first learning of one experiment, and trying to scale it because it's what, it it would be a game changer of the whole industry if they would do it. I understand it's super risky because they're they're risking their whole brand, they're risking their whole entire portfolio and business model what they have built up, but. If if we look into opportunities again, it's it's one of the biggest opportunity to change a huge thing in the whole world around a specific industry. So, I think that's that, that's really the hard hard thing because if if you're in a decision position in a large corporation, do we take this step and and doubling down on the most risky thing, or should we take the safe way? So it's always tricky, Vanna.
1: I have a question though, just on your example, right? Um, do you think that in in that specific example, is it is it a, aversion to the risk that the new business model presents or is it the inability to manage the outcome of the experiment? You know what I'm saying? Like that, that there isn't systems in place to actually take that result. because the experiment will give you a result and then you have to build it in somewhere where you actually action the insights, and I think there's maybe also the inability to really, okay, I've got insights, what the hell do I do with it? Or it's, I've got an insight, I'm scared as hell to yeah. do anything about it. Like, and in, in, in this case, like, where was, where I think where it was it more the
0: latter one, due to the fact that there was a proposal on the table to say, there's a proof of concept, a proof of an idea, a validation of a prototype or an experiment, Let's let's put that into a separate, legal entity on the side of the business which is not disturbing anyone and build it slowly up but that would require um a shift a new legal entity legal risk and at that time Uh, at that time it, it wasn't the right decision from from management perspective not from my perspective but i get it so that that's always the risky part when you when you do this in a large organization if we now turn this if you just take my business, which is fairly small compar- compared to that large uh, organization, though my risk, the risk I'm taking the last two, two years are way higher compared to, to, to the large business because the large businesses may be, let's say they lose 5 million euro, which is peanuts for that business. For me, it's like I, I would lose everything,
2: yeah. everything,
0: my entire savings, most probably my family in worst case. If you are down that rabbit hole, but it's from a risk perspective, it's way higher. I still do it because I think it's worth it because yeah. the opportunity is is triple for me. So it, it's more. It, it's also uh, a a little bit a way of thinking of wh- where are you where are you willing to to navigate to.
3: Yeah, and I think that. That, that term of navigation, and maybe, Dennis, I, I know you, you were about to jump in there, but just quickly on, on Jens and Vanna, what you were saying, I think one of the things that where my mind went with while you guys were talking was just around the systems and processes that we have access to run experiments with. So if you think about drawing, for example, and you take Dennis's you know, brilliant mind and the way that he can create things on the fly now, wind back the clock 10 years and a lot of the technology didn't exist. And if you think about this playground or this space that we make experiments happen in, what do we now have access to which we didn't, which can allow us to run different forms of experiments. So if you think about, again, drawing, it's far easier for an artist now to go and test out certain things, whereas in the past they may have had to have access to certain resources to run those experiments and would have to start from scratch. But whereas now they can start at different stages. But yeah, Dennis, I know you were about to jump in there.
2: Yeah, so, so and, and, and I think it, you're only uh, affirming the fact that I need to share a uh, official again to challenge our thinking. Uh, uh, I just re- I'm gonna try to describe it in a way that people get it. Uh, let's see, but for you guys, hopefully it is something um, that maybe you can recognize um, what's in the middle. Uh, in, in the middle you find the business model canvas. Um, and, and trying to uh, innovate a, a business model like you said Jens is something that is quite difficult to do uh, because um, when you have a flawless triangular structure which is on one side there's a lady executive who's holding this up there's zero percent risk and there's uh, lots of return based on this this structure you have on one side uh, and it's turning it has a circle around because it has it's turning over time but when you, uh, when you uh, start to listen to this, this guy who has uh, uh, this opportunity, this raw opportunity that's not defined yet, there's, there's something there, but there's a 90% risk that it will fall apart. But there's a 10% risk, it's, it will fly and it will go. And uh, I think, Jens, you uh, made a, a good remark in the sense that, uh, or it reveals something that corporates do, is when they see the opportunity and they don't want to take the risk, they tend to create a sub company to take that risk because when it falls, it doesn't hurt the company. But they do see the opportunity. It's not that they're stupid that they don't see it, um, but they're just stuck in this in this structure in that sense. And when you move from the the way that you have a, you're creating value. A um, just a, a, you know a, we we don't look at value just in monetary sense. Also in little hearts that we have uh, nowadays. Uh, but let's say let's say that in this situation for this lady, it is only based on financial uh, growth or gain. And when you move to the other space or somebody comes in and they're talking about uh, the fact that everybody um, is gonna make money, but they're also going to be happy, uh, there is a huge difference between one and the other structure. and what's happening in in between is exactly that that reprogramming of what's happening between value proposition A and value proposition B, that some, that's something that's in between, that space that lives here, that's in between this state and that state, uh, that is something that uh, um, needs experimentation because if you do not if we did not have the people who experiment who see these opportunities, who sees it, who develop it uh, uh, without um, having any money, just a, a vision or a thought of doing this, uh, not stuck to any structure, but just a big belief in the fact that there are their idea works, then there, there needs to be a space for them to have that, to, to do this. in, And it's usually a very lonely job when you're a inv- lonely inventor and nobody wants to invest in you. It's going to be like a very lonely space. But I would say the opportunity space that you have in between here, that's something that within companies, it's now, it, it's growing. Because they're seeing that staying within that structure is going to, Fall at some point, and they need to start to go into this space where they have more um, uh, room to maneuver towards a new business model. And I think the, the most important reason why you make this visual, visible in that sense is that you start to see that space and that there's different people in different spaces with different risks and different profiles, but they, they all work together towards doing something new. And this is, I, I think, a good. Uh, maybe um, uh, 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 visual to start thinking about what our interpretation of uh, experimentation or the myth, where where it starts. So does it start uh, just when you're, uh, when this thing is touching when this this raw opportunity is touching this this triangle, you know, in this this space over here, that it's saying, ooh, there's something new. We're going into something different." Or is it already when this person has got a, um, a little bit of money, he started a company, and there's stuff going on, and there's publicity coming, and there's questions arising. Is, is that the space that's going to be the experimental phase? So that's more of the, uh, the, <laughs> the visual representation. I don't know if somebody gets it based on that. Uh, but the idea is that there is a space that if you make it visible, people can, can start to talk about it. And this is where experimentation gets to another uh, another level, that, like we like we talked about. It's not only about um, uh, uh, testing an assumption, but it's literally moving boundaries.
0: Yeah, it's it's a great synthesis as as always. Werner, would you be so kind in giving a visual explainer <laughs> again? <laughs>
1: <laughs> this. This is gonna be a hard one. Dennis, you're gonna help me, right? So you have, uh, there's a there's kind of a, this is not a Venn, right? There's only two circles and they overlap. Um, and where they overlap, you have the business model canvas right in the middle. Uh, the left-hand circle has the flawless structure with like 0% risk and it's being held in the air by a lovely lady, executive lady. Nice and diverse, and then uh, on the right-hand side you have a guy holding holding up up the second circle, which says raw, and it's flawed and filled with opportunity, and also represents ninety percent of the risk. Dennis, if you can just rem- remind me, there's a arrow that then goes from the left-hand side from the zero risk towards the ninety percent risk. Um, that I I, I so I this can't, one? Yeah, yeah, right at the top of the of the two. Right
2: at the top. Yeah. So- so, so the idea is that you um, every every state, like the lady is uh, having the flawless structure and the yep. guy was carrying in the raw opportunity, they they represent different states and different value. Uh, value A,
1: value, okay, yeah. got it, yeah. So that's represented at the top of the two circles that overlap.
2: Yeah, and there's stuff in between here. That's maybe nice. transitional space.
1: Yes, yes. Yeah. Awesome.
2: Awesome, thank you very yeah. much, Vanna,
0: for synthesizing so the synthesis. Yeah,
1: I mean, we're going to make it available in the. You can see it in the YouTube version of the of the podcast, and also um, we'll be sharing it on social media
0: for sure. Um, for those listening, I would I would like to 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 go into the last part, which is uh, what did we learn today in today's innovation breakfast club discussion. So who, who who wants to start? Who who wants to throw in his two cents?
1: Uh, I'll, I'll start. Um, i start. I learned about how cow, cows approach experimentation, and thanks to Dennis. <laughs> now, I think uh, the one thing that I wrote down, because I know you're going to hit us with some insights, but the, the one thing I wrote down, and it's an old one and Joshua actually brought it up, is like when you think about experimentation, all the myths, uh, you need to think about what is the risk of not doing it? And I think that is something really... You know, it's, it's an old one, but it's a good one. The other, the other uh, thing that, uh, two notes that I have here is uh, that I'd like to explore a little bit more because I like to take homework away from these sessions is the idea of open and closed experimentation. And then the one that we, started to touch on is the tears of uh, uh, not the tears when you're crying because that also happens sometimes when you experiment but the different <laughs> levels of experimentation right so where because i don't want to, that people to listen to this and think like oh it's this world changing thing like we are oh, we're going to put everything at risk but you can experiment in very small uh manners but then there's a kind of leveling that we haven't really dove into but perhaps <laughs> we can do that later thank you guys
2: Dennis. So one word that has been on the outskirts of what, what we've been talking about is an end result of, um, of this, uh, this, this whole experimentation thing is learning. So it doesn't matter what you do. If you, if you um, uh, even if you do nothing, uh, if you zoom far out enough, you will learn. Uh, because if you do nothing, if you do not experiment, you also learn something. Uh, but the idea about this is that uh, uh, I would say open, closed, or whatever, any f- which form of experimentation has at the end result opportunity and um, learning, which is an uh, amazing end result. Um, but you need to create your own uh, path towards it and through it and be very much aware about how you do it with people. And I'm just discussing this, it, it, it's always a light point uh, in the. Uh, in my week or my month talking to you guys about uh, stuff like this, and it's um, uh, getting into this, I didn't realize that, of course, we can blow this up into all kinds of directions, but um, it's always so much more complex than you think. Uh, But uh, in that sense, uh, I like what you say, uh, um, uh, Werner, Uh, what is the risk of not doing it? Uh, And uh, as opposed to, I will say, what is the risk of doing it? And just uh, be and uh, doing it in that sense. So uh, less talk, don't talk, but d- just do in that sense. Like uh, our lady from the castle uh, showed us a very long time ago. Yeah, that is literally uh, uh, the thing that that uh, that uh, just gets affirmed by everything that we're talking about. But I do think that it's interesting for us to see if we can map this further. So I like those tiers. Um, keep them falling into
0: place.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Joshua. So I'll try, and, I'll try and build on those two, two great syntheses um, that Vanna and Dennis put, put together. And I'll sort of try and link it back to you in something that you mentioned around the size of the experiment. And sometimes I think when we think about experimentation, we think that it needs to be massive. It needs to be astronomical in size. But I think sometimes, as you so well articulated, Jens, is the, si- the smallest experiments can sometimes have the greatest impact inside of an organization or even with inside of the way that you do things as an individual. And that's something that I'll definitely take, take out of today's conversation. And then building off, Dennis, what you mentioned about learning is I think that sometimes why we don't experiment is because we have a confirmation bias. And I think that inside of the way and the, the, the ideas and thoughts that we've shared in the in the discussion today, we've approached things with an open mind. We've challenged each other's thinking and I th- I've really enjoyed the way that we've interacted today. And where this sort of comes down to and crystallizes for me is we, we maybe should look at touching more on why do we not experiment? We've yeah. spoken about how it may be a myth, but what I've written down here is debunking why we don't experiment. Yeah. Because I think that in answering that question, and if we go back to Simon Sinek, who I know all of us on, on, on the call today know, is he comes up with the question of why. And I think that that's maybe something that we can, as Vanda said, take away as our own homework, but also maybe start a broader conversation about it, because I think there's lots to gain from experimenting um, and learning, as you so well put, Dennis, is a, is an opportunity from that. And new Jens. Yeah, I was about to say
0: great synthesis. Now we can close the <laughs> No, you're not gonna get away with that. <laughs> yeah, no, I love love the discussion as as usual. I've basically just just written one sentence uh which I want to finish with. It's it's awesome to see. Like 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 you mentioned before, it's it's like it's it sounds so easy if you just Set out to, yeah, let's discuss the myth of experimentation. And then you put a couple of brains together in, in, in a public call um, called podcast. And, and then you discuss like deep things. And, and I think there's so much value in that for the listeners as well, where everyone is taking something differently away from that. And I think that's already worse it doing it. But the coming back to the one sentence I have written down, and was I built it over basically the the, the last two, uh, hour we have you know, we have met each other, so it's it, the short form is taking risk to experiment is the safer way to play love it and i I, I will not iterate around it because I would destroy it with my German rambling <laughs> <laughs> but it, can you it read was... it
1: again though, like t- taking? Taking, taking risk r-
0: to experiment is the safer way to play. And everyone can see it from different perspectives, but that's that's my, my it, last two cents. It sounds.
1: resonates, yeah. Yeah, nice one. Very nice. That's also the title of this show. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, it m-
2: might be. <laughs> so, so in that sense, I, I think it's very interesting to see if we can experiment uh, uh, with maybe the same discussion. Um, uh, but then drunk.
0: Always (laughs) possible,
2: you know. And but not drunk. But what is the hypothesis, Dennis? What's the hypothesis? So I'm serious. I'm serious. That's the that's the idea. We need to see if there's going to be a difference in end result if we are uh, under the influence, or maybe deeper, or it's going to be incoherent, or we make different links. We start to tear up. (laughs) <laughs> see all the tears of uh, of the experiment, but uh, you know it's going to be interesting to see what what these kinds of uh, discussions what they do when you have access to a larger part of your brain. <laughs> That's def- <laughs> definitely
0: something we 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 need to explore. Let let's figure out if we will post that on YouTube afterwards. <laughs> of course, everybody will want to join. No, but I'm I'm up for it. Let's let us let us figure that out. Guys, thank you very much for spending your breakfast time wherever is breakfast right now (laughs) Um, with me on on the podcast. As usual, always a pleasure. Um, And and thank you very much for for you listeners or or people watching on YouTube or wherever you see this or listen to it. Uh, It was a pleasure that you spent the hour with us. And thank you guys for being on the show again.
1: Thanks for
3: listening. Thanks, guys.